Hey, what's up? It's Emily, and I'm pretty sure that compassionate, coordinated healthcare is something on the top of everyone's mind. That is why I love Live by Advantia Health. From primary care to mental health and gynecology to obstetrics, Live understands these are all connected and important to you. Live is a membership-based practice in the heart of DC that prioritizes your experience. Plus, Live accepts all major insurance. So take charge of your healthcare on your schedule and choose Live. Learn more and become a member by searching for Live by Advantia. L I V by Advantia. Hey, what's up? It's Emily. And now more than ever, compassionate, coordinated healthcare is at the forefront of our minds and something I want to prioritize. That's why I love Live by Advantia Health. Live is a healthcare practice that provides complete women's health and wellness, and it's all in one place. From primary care to mental health and gynecology to obstetrics, Live understands these are all connected and important to you. And with Saturday hours, you can find time for your healthcare on your schedule. With Live, you'll have a care team that works together with you to personalize a wellness plan around your distinct needs and goals. Their innovative care model puts you at the center, making it easy to start out healthy and stay that way. So how does it work? Live is a membership-based practice and the heart of DC that prioritizes your experience. And on top of top-notch patient care, members also get access to care coordination, same-day prescription delivery, exclusive events, and so much more. Plus, they accept all major insurance. So take care of your health care on your schedule and choose Live. Learn more and become a member by searching for Live by Advantia. That's L-I-V by Advantia. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of The Big Red Bus. Oh, what a difference a week can make as we take out this beautiful, sturdy, strong bus with a big number 45 on the hood. As we pull this baby out 25 feet by 30 feet with lots of room for, for passengers, I look over to my right and lo and behold, it's the, it's the podfather, the great one, Doug Tonus. How you doing, brother? I mean, certainly better than last week. It's, oh. uh, it's uh, pretty good to see some, some Bulls wins. It's insane, isn't it? When you consider now, I mean, we're, we're what, one shot away from four and three? Yeah, we're, yeah. We're, I guess that's fair. Doug, grab onto your chair, because get, get this. We're, point, we're half a game out of the seventh seed. Are you all right? I, I mean, I'm, I'm fine. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure how excited I am about it as you are. Well, well, my prophecy would come true. That's why I'm excited. Well, I, I'd be excited if we made the, the seventh seed. Don't get me wrong. I'd be very excited if that happened. I, I just can't say that I'm overly excited about the Bulls' wins. <laughs> no, Well, first of all, the Wizards haven't lost since we beat them two in a row, right? They beat a good Nets team today. We're actually tied with the Nets, believe it or not. What's so exciting about this to me, I know everybody's going to talk about, well, they're missing – uh, Luca, you know, he is probably, well, no, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, they're missing their two best players. <laughs> no doubt they're missing their two best players. Understood. But you even yourself said, who was our best player for the first three games? It was Laurie Markinen, and he's been out. We've had a couple rotation players out, too, and I thought we've played very well. I, I think them. that missing Luca and Porzingis <laughs> is a little bit more than missing Lowry <laughs> and Sato and... What do you call him? Archie son. not in the NBA. <laughs> Archie Diagono. <laughs> Coach's son. He's got multiple bad nicknames because you don't hate him. He's actually a guy you like a lot and respect. I, I, um, I know Just one. call him by negative know, names all the time. 
I no longer I forgot about that nickname I used to say. What was that? Archie uh, not in the NBA. Archie not in the NBA. Yeah, because you still can't pronounce Archie Diacono. Uh, anyway, sorry, I don't want to rain. I don't want to rain on the Bulls parade, but I do got to ask you, Fred, just just for posterity. Last podcast, you were at twenty four wins. Yeah, it's. Are you, are you still at twenty four? No, wins? no, it's back to thirty four. I'm confident. It's back, it's back to thirty four. That's how much it swings. Right. The original Good prediction. Enough. In fact, I want to apologize to everyone who's listening for that embarrassing display of uh, despair in the last pod where I called the you know the bus made out of play doh. It was embarrassing. That's not me. That's not my brand. That's not who I am. I just felt uh, <laughs> desperate and and I let it out and. It should not have been. It should not have been. I never nervous. record after a loss. That's, I think that's exactly. what it comes down to. Never, I, never record right after a loss. It's, a, I, it's really easy to get emotionally, you know, moved by a loss. I mean, or a big win, either way. But I mean, you you tend to get a little bit moved by what is what is there. Yeah, I mean, let's just go back though over the last four games since we last did the show. Two, I thought, really rock solid wins against the Wizards. I understand the Wizards are the Wizards, but they still do have two top line players, great players, and. Obviously, they beat a, beat a great Nets team today. I thought the Bulls played very well in both those games. Then you play Milwaukee, which is the measuring stick, and we got our ass kicked. No doubt about it. They hit a ton of threes. I mean, that team can shoot. It's unbelievable. And, and you know, I think Milwaukee earlier in the week had 29 threes and set an NBA record. So we caught them at a, at a tough time. You know, it's a bad loss uh, to get blown out like that. But to come back today, and, you know, I thought Zach Levine with 39 points, Otto Porter Jr. with seven rebounds. Levine also had five assists today. Overall, very good game from from the uh, the youngster. What say you? I, I guess I'll say this, going back over all the games. I, I think the two wins against Washington are a little bit more meaningful than people credited at the time. You know, Washington was off to a rough start. But they were a team people probably pegged to be in that playoff hunt better than us, right, at the yes. beginning of the season. Absolutely. And so there's no reason to really think otherwise just because they lost their first few games, right? So the Washington team is probably a little better, and they've won two games since we played them. So that now is maybe playing out as well. So, you know, those wins, there weren't great wins. You were probably beating a team that's going to end up out of the playoffs, but just out of the playoffs, and they are kind of one of our rivals. So they're still they're, they're okay wins. This win against Dallas, again, it's like you're in a close game, and the, and the Washington games are close. This win against Dallas is a close game. You won, but, again, this is a team with, like, a bottom-five roster you know, as we played them, right? With Luca and Porzingis out, this is a team that you would expect to normally be a bottom five team. And, you know, they kind of collapsed a little bit late and, and, we, and we won. So we should have won. You know, that's great. We won. But it's not anything to get too excited about. What concerns me most about this season and, and that Golden State game, maybe another team with a bottom five roster as we played them with, like, with Draymond out. And so when I look at the season, we've got three wins and they were all pretty close wins against really bad teams we've got one loss which was a very close loss against a really bad team at with the lineups that were just there and and that's one of the weird things that's going to be about this season right you could play Milwaukee and and Giannis could be like in the COVID protocol and then because of the way things go you might play them in a back-to-back and miss them both games right yeah. like that could actually happen pretty easily or it could be the same with you know the Lakers or the Clippers or whoever else you know I don't I guess the Western Conference teams you're not doing double home games with but it's just going to be a weird season, and the schedule is going to be a lot less balanced than it normally is because of these injuries. I mean, we're all going to play the same teams, 
But it's just going to depend on like who you get on the night, like who's there and who's not there. And same with your guys. Like if you you go up against the Pistons, but then Zach and Kobe are out for that game or something, you might end up losing and be like, man, we should have killed the Pistons. So it's going to be just a little wonky all season because of that. But what concerns me most about this team is all the teams they played that were really, really bad were close games. And the teams they played that seemed like they're kind of okay just absolutely wiped the floor with us. Yeah. And so, you know, you just got to see them be competitive against a good team for me before I'm going to kind of move a little bit closer to your direction of feeling good about where they're at. Yep, at right now, record, if you said we're 3-4 and four at this point in the season, I'd be like, okay, I'll take it. You know, that'd be fine. I expected three or four and four and three right now going going in because I thought we had an easier start. And so we're there. But actually watching the games getting annihilated and all the games where the competition was actually kind of decent and, you know, barely winning a couple games and then barely losing one against the really bad kind of setups. Uh, I, I'm just not there yet as being real positive. But sure, it's a lot better this week than it was last week, right? Yeah, it's way better for sure. Yeah, and let me just counter a little bit too. You know, teams still, we still haven't had our full roster, really. Like, it goes both ways, you know. Like, the Wizards had their two best players. They had Beal and Westbrook. Steph Curry's the best player on the Warriors. We lost Indiana. They weren't missing anybody worthwhile. And, uh, Milwaukee had Giannis. It's not like we've been playing teams that have been. No, no, I you know, agree. Like, like so, we, we've been missing Lari for last three games. This is one thing about this Bulls team, which I will say, is I think the bench is as good as any bench in the league. I really believe that because the way Thaddeus Young's a rock-solid player. He's being utilized correctly now. Temple, Gafford's really playing well. He was excellent tonight. 6-6 six six from the free throw line, 3-3 three three from the from the field. Just great. Great job. He had, uh, you know, plus 12. He had 12 points, and I just thought he was really good. Denzel Valentine, I know it's a running joke, but he's a rock-solid player to have in your rotation off the bench. And he's probably not even in a rotation when Sato comes back. This team is a deep team that can handle this type of season where people are going to be out in, in COVID protocol. It's going to happen throughout the league. And I just feel like our 9, 10, 11, 12, it's probably not going to make a difference. It won't make a difference in the playoffs because you're not going to be playing your 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 guys. But we're as, we're as good as anybody out there when it comes to that, those uh, players in your roster. Do you agree? Yeah, I think the one thing I'll say is Billy Donovan, to his credit, seems to definitely be using players – more to their strengths, and with that, these guys who seemed not so great now seem pretty solid. You know, I mean, Thad Young looks like an entirely different player this year, looks very solid. Lowry looks much better this year. And so it's not showing up yet on the record, in my opinion, you know, or the scoreboard, but you definitely feel like you can get contributions from more guys than you could before. Yeah, I think the record is probably exactly what we expected though you know it hasn't worked out the way we expected but we didn't probably expect to win both games against the Wizards with Beal and Westbrook if you look at overall I didn't expect we were if we walked into the season and you looked at the schedule I don't think anybody expected us to be Golden State with Curry you know you know what I'm saying Doug I think it it, after seven games I actually thought the Golden State game was going to be very winnable I thought they had a chance to win you know I would have, the only team we played so far that I thought was a for sure loss was Milwaukee. Okay. Going in. I mean, and I'm not saying I thought we'd win all the other games, 
But I thought the others were games that should have been all like 50-50 games. So I agree. I mean, like if you if you view all those other games as 50-50, well, we won half of them and we lost in Milwaukee. So yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah, after seven games before the season started, and you said, "Look at the first seven games," and if if I told you we'd be three and four, I think that's exactly what. I, yeah, I, but you know I, mean, I mean, but that's when you're mean. looking at predictive results, like the record is one thing, but the point differential yeah, is uh, you know a bigger thing, and, and the Bulls are like a minus. Seven in point differential, and you know that's that's worst in the uh, Eastern Conference, except for the Miami Heat. Oddly enough, we're a minus seven point eight point differential yeah, as we record this. Right yeah, the team that was in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Yeah, all I'm saying is like just look at a game like tonight. Garrett Temple at, at a plus eight, Thaddeus Young at a plus thirteen, Daniel Gafford at a plus twelve, and Valentine at a plus four. Those were your four players that played off the bench. They were fantastic tonight. And one thing I we talked about on the Knights of Roundtable show, which I, I was really hoping that would happen, I saw in Q4, and I brought this up, that there's no reason you can't switch up your defense to a switching defense when you have vets playing. And they had Temple, Young, Otto out there, I think Levine also. Those guys are tailor-made to switch, and he did that. That's what I'm so excited about, about Billy Donovan, is he, he's willing to try these things, that our previous coach just said, you know, the meathead just stuck his head in the sand and said, we're going to stick with our blitzing D no matter what happens, no matter what the results are. Uh, I, got, I got a question for you. And, and I, you know, I love Jim Boylan, and he's really my hero. <laughs> Here we uh, go. So, are you going to defend no, no, him again? I'm, I'm not going to go back to Jim Boylan. Uh, question for you, though. You know, looking at the bench, the bench has played really well, and you bring up the switching, and I think that's a good point. And the bench typically has – a roster, especially when Sato is back, where like everyone is like six five or taller, you know, and sometimes people yes. like six seven or taller. So the bench is pretty big, and then I think that really facilitates that switching. And when you look at the defense in the starting lineup, I think they really struggle a lot more. And I think part of the reason they struggle is, I mean, Zach and Kobe individually are not great defenders, but then they're also kind of small. They don't fight through the screens well, and they can't switch. And so, you know, I just wonder, like that, like how. How do you feel about the Zach and Kobe playing together? Like I know we kind of said one of the main questions you got to answer is can Zach and Kobe play together? And through seven games, I think the answer is probably not. Like they really look a lot better when they're not on the court together. And I don't think that means you have to get rid of one, but I do think it means that maybe these guys shouldn't both be starting. Like if they're both going to play 36 minutes a night, it should be 12 together and then they should each cover the other guys minutes out. Well, Doug, I, I would counter, though, after a game like tonight, I don't know how you could say that. I mean, I agree. You should try to split them up as much as possible. But tonight, Kobe White was 7-14. He was a plus 7. That doesn't, Zach, does not go against my point, though. I, so overall, I, didn't, I, didn't say, yeah. I didn't say they can't be on the same team. I explicitly said they can be on the same team. I mean, on the court. But you just want to – you just don't want them to play, you know, both starting. You just don't want them to play on the court with for most of their minutes together. You want to separate them as much as you can. But like they you both could, you finished. You could play them each 36 minutes a night and have them only have 12 minutes of overlap. But they both finished. And if you look what happened down the stretch in this game, Zach had a fantastic pass to Otto to make it 110 to 104. I think it was either the next possession or the one after that, Kobe White comes down for a step-back three that wrapped up the game. That's essentially what happened. So if they're not starting, I, I don't even think that discussion is, is as important as can, can they easily, both finish together. You can easily have them both finish without them both starting. 
I mean, the starters have nothing to do with the finishers. But uh, yeah, you might you if, might have but, them both finish. I just think I think they're like strengths. Like they don't they don't play have a good dynamic together on the court, passing with each other, moving the ball to each other. They end up taking turns a little bit. You know, like like Kobe White had an amazing second half in this Mavericks game, and Zach had an amazing first half. Like you, you don't see a lot of playing together with these guys. I don't know. I'm I'm not saying we have to give up on it now. I'm just saying I think it's going to turn out that these guys maybe don't play their best ball next to each other. Uh, and I, I think the defense is a lot worse when both of them are on the same court at the same time as well. I agree with that. But there's no doubt this is the number one thing. I said we got to solve for the season. And I am, I'm not for the growing consensus that I think in the fan base that Sato should be starting. I'm just not for it. I, yeah, I I'm, I'm okay waiting on it. I'm just saying the early returns to me right now are that this isn't going to work out real well. well that's you're going to get rid of one of these guys or one of them is going to go to the bench. Well, that's fair, but but let me just say, if that's the answer, if they're not going to work together, then one of them has to go. Because the answer can't be one of them's going to the bench because they're both still going to close, right? If, if the Bulls are not optimizing their team with both of them on the court, then one of them has to go, and I think that will eventually be Zach Levine. Maybe even at the I, I don't know. I don't know why you feel that they both have to start if they're both going to close. You, you can't have two guys that can't close together. Well, they can mean? still play together. Sometimes they can still close together. They don't have to both start. You can still segregate their minutes for a good chunk of the game, and then leave them on the on the court together at the end. Yeah, but that's the most important time. It's it's not who yeah. starts, it's who finishes. And yeah, again, I, I guess I get what you're saying. If they're not, yeah. if they can't play well enough to start a game together, then they shouldn't play close a game together. Right? Because they're not good enough to close a game. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, and it, it sucks because to me, there are two best players. Like if you had to say right now, like who's got the highest ceiling? I think those are our two best players ceiling wise. And I I believe in Kobe. I know a little bit more. I know a lot of people are sour on him after his start. He had a, I thought he was excellent in the second second half tonight. Um, you know, and I, I do think he's going to be really good. I just think he's only 20 years old again, very young, so a lot of development left. But if they can't perform well together and optimize the team, then one of them has to go. And yeah, maybe it, should right. be, it, it should be, yeah, and I guess from, from my end, I mean, I would say they can both go. Everyone, everyone to me on this roster can go. There's no one I'm attached to at all. But Agreed. I, 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 I'm, I'm really concerned that Kobe's really going to do anything for you. <laughs> I really am. He had a nice night tonight, so I don't want to rain on it. But, boy, like, he was at 48% true shooting percentage coming into this game. Yeah. I mean, that's, like, out-of-the-league bad for a guy that really only brings scoring and nothing else. And he's, like, out-of-the-league bad at scoring so far this year. Yeah. And he had an amazing preseason. You know, what I've said about Kobe is if he's going to be a great player for the Bulls, it's going to be because he becomes an amazing shooter. And going into this game, you know, that was not the case. Uh, but this game it really helps you know bring him back on the track, and we're so early on. You know, you you live tweeted in the game like Denzel Valentine's up to seventy three percent from three. You know, at one point in the game, he's eight and I think I, I think he finished like sixty one percent from three <laughs> for the season. So I mean, it just shows you like you know there's these yeah. stats and stuff that you bring up. Like right now, we're so early in the season that they don't have a lot of value or meaning yet. You know, this is just not a big enough sample size for anything. You know, except to say that Kobe was really off to a rough start prior to this game. Yeah, but it is still worth mentioning, right? I mean, like, Denzel Valentine was leading the NBA in three-point percentage. And, and I'm just saying it, you know, I, as much as there's no bigger fan of, than Denzel than me, but I do realize he's probably a guy I think you can potentially garner some type of asset for at the trade deadline because 
three-point shooting is in high demand. And if he's going to be top five in three-point shooting in the NBA, he will garner something. If it's a you know late draft pick, probably not number one, but it could be number two or something. So that's what the season is about, determining yeah. who the best players are. If you and could then, flip Denzel into a second rounder, I think you'd be pretty happy with that, right? I mean, unless you think he's going to be here long term. I think you'd be really excited about that. And if he continues to shoot as well as he has, which he's clearly not. I mean, he's not going to shoot yeah, over 60% from three. But, he but could I shoot mean, if 40 he shoots plus. at 40%, yeah. you know, yeah, he could, he could How definitely. How about that steal? Uh, we, we, I know you wanted me to talk about it for 10 minutes. I, I thought I was going to allocate 15 or 20 to that incredible steal. <laughs> and then the, the made three. That was almost it for me. I almost passed out when that happened because uh, I was just so excited. But, um yeah, I, I did want to get on this one point, though, Doug. As well as Thad Young is playing, and as well as Sada was playing, I do think there's a fit for him, uh, both of those players, with the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, you know, with that injury to Spencer Dinwiddie, that team is not very deep. Uh, and I think Sato kind of is a poor man's Dinwiddie, does a lot of similar things, and that is exactly what you need for that team as a defender. They're, they're lacking defensively, and I thought he did a – fine job against Giannis. I think that'd be a great trade. I think that should be able to garner a late first-round pick. Do you agree or disagree? I could see that. I mean, I guess the question is just, you know, what, yeah, if what you're the Nets return? and if you're the Bulls and and the Bulls are sitting there going like, man, you know what? We don't really need that young in the long run and we don't need Sato in the long run. And, you know, even if you take someone like Denzel or some of these depth guys, like, I think there's absolutely... Uh, a need for these guys on some of these other teams, you know, the question is just going to be, can you figure out a way to make the salaries work? Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think that's the thing. It's like the Nets don't have like a lot of tradable salaries. You got to assume they want to keep Karis Levert. You got to assume they want to keep Joe Harris and you know, maybe they want to, you can dump Tori and Prince. Um, and I'm not a fan of him. Yeah. I'm not a, a fan of him either, but if you're going to get picks like that, you're, you're doing it to get picks, not to get Prince. Agreed. Uh, but I, I, know, I, like, I agree hundred percent, but don't you think if he keeps on playing like this, I mean, that's a late first, right? You can get a late first for him. Like, the Nets are going to be picking in probably 20-plus. I don't. Yeah. I, I think you could probably get a late first for that. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think some type of depth. I think the Bulls should be able to get some type of pick for their depth. If they're willing. Now, the question, though, for you, and, and if you're running the Bulls, you know, I would do that, right? I, no question. No question asked. I know you have your seventh seed prophecy. You're looking for this team to build and, and get better. Uh, would you want to trade the Bulls players away and, and potentially hurt where this team is going to go and, and maybe a playoff push to to get like a pick in the 20s? That's a great question. So it, I think it completely depends on the record at the trade deadline, whatever that trade deadline is. I don't even know if they've said it yet, but... Yeah, they did. It's um, I forget when it is. It's in March sometime, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So if they're within striking distance of 500, and they're definitely like let's say at the eight, nine, ten seed there, if they're in the playoffs, I don't, I don't think you trade. You might get away with trading young because you're so you have so many players at the power forward position, and I think that's where he really is at. But like Sato, Sato is kind of an important player. I think he really helps facilitate. Uh, and helps improve the the rest of the team a little bit more than Thad does because there's a lot less replication with Sato. That's all I mean by yeah, that. Yeah, there's you don't really have a lot of. I mean, who, who's your point guard options? You no. know, then you're playing Garrett Temple at point guard, who's coach's son. Yeah, coach. and Temp, Temple has done a solid job this year. I don't you know, oh, yeah. rip on Temple, but like he's he's not really a point guard. No, you're playing Zach at point guard, then you know, or or Archer Diakono is going to come in and 
you know, whatever, Arch will be a try hard and you know, make a few hustle plays and whatever, but like he's not someone you really want to play a lot of minutes if you could avoid it. So yeah, I think Sato would be a tougher guy to lose if you're if you're still trying to contend. Well, let me ask uh, if you're trying this, to stealth, if you're trying to stealth tank, <laughs> trading Sato might be an amazing move because he would actually I think have an impact if he's if he's if he's out for a while. Let me throw out this scenario: you're the GM, and we're let's say we're at 500, exactly at 500, and the seventh seed at the trade deadline, and we obviously then play a little bit better than you expected. Would you yeah. make that trade? No, I mean, if we're actually at 500, then I feel a little different. And I feel like at that point, then you got to kind of roll with this team, you know, keep yeah. them together. I mean, obviously, it depends who is helping you get there, but like, for well, we, reasons we know that that's just kind of follow logically. Yeah. If if someone is not helping you get there, they're also probably not worth a draft pick. I mean, they're not playing well enough to be a big piece of what you're doing. Probably no one else wants them either. So I, you know, I'd say in that case. If we're actually at 500, then that means this talent is really better than I viewed it to be. And yeah. then this is a team that we might actually, you know, try to keep together and then say, instead of trying to, to go through the draft, now we're going to try and trade to get the next piece. Because if you're that good, you're also not going to get a pick, right? Like, I mean, you're not going to trade two guys and end up so bad that you're you're going to get a high draft pick. So at that point, your ability to tank and, and get something really intriguing in the draft is also gone. So I, if they are that good, and I don't expect that at all, I, I mean, I'm actually still think they're going to be probably uh, bottom bottom seven in the league for sure at the end of the season. But if, if they, for some reason, are much better than I think they will be at this exact moment in time, then then yeah, I, I think you got to roll with the guys you have. Well, it's been kind of a weird start because the Knicks yeah, are playing so well. Start. The, the Cavs are playing so well. The Cavs are 4-2, and two, I believe, last I checked. You know, these teams we expected to be, the Dor- Orlando, you know, the, to be below us are actually playing really well, and teams that we expect to be better, like Miami and, and the Nets, are actually right with us, hanging with us. So I think, I guess my question again, to follow up on the previous one, is what is that dividing line for you? Like if we're 8 or 9, let's say, a few games below 500 at maybe a similar winning percentage of what we're at today at three and four. Do you still make the move? Like what's it going to take for you to say, you know, I want to see how we roll in the playoffs. Yeah. I think, it, I think you got to be, if you're, if you're top 10 and you're fighting, you're going to be in a play in tournament. I think you you go for it. Yeah. Agreed. So I mean, you, and, you and kind of that. like if that's, you're, you're at the deadline, you're 10th and where I regard, unless your record is your 10th, but you're really like, winning one in three games and it's just there's just like a lot of bad teams then maybe that's a little different but if you're 10th and you're like kind of like you know just a, a game or two away from the seven eight nine guys then yeah you 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 stick with it yeah interesting so it's it's, it's happened you know just pretty quickly within a week that suddenly the bulls look a lot better you know winning three out of four um do you, you, you it sounds like you still though don't foresee them challenging for that 10th spot uh, considering we'll how see. good Atlanta is. I, mean, I, I hate to – I'm someone who will just maybe just present the data that's in front of me. Like I, I can make predictions, but I don't expect my predictions, unlike you who is uh, proven by the state of, what, Utah or something, to be North. 92% accurate or it's, something. It's the University I, I, of North I have no, uh, I no, no thoughts that like my predictions are really accurate. So what I'll, I'll do is I'll, I'll just take the data as it stands uh, at any point in time, and uh, and my belief will be based on how I interpret that data. And so when I look at the Bulls' record right now, uh, they got annihilated by every team that I felt was pretty decent. Uh, they were in close games against the teams that were really, really bad. 
and they did win three or four of those games, but they're they're just not going to have that many games against teams of that caliber. And I I just feel like the next time we have this podcast, it, we're we're going to be a little bit back more towards doom and gloom because we're not going to be fighting any of these bad teams. Or the other thing that's going to happen is we're going to beat some of these good teams. And then you're going to see me start to, to drive the bus, you know, like, I mean, so, you know, one of those two things is going to happen. Oh my God. Uh, you know, but I, I just kind of think that it's most likely that when we go through the stretch of, you know, like real competition that, you know, if we're losing each game by like 20 points, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be pretty disappointed in the team. Now, if we're, if we're, if we win, like say one in three of these games and, and the games are generally close. Hey, what's up? It's Emily, and I'm pretty sure that compassionate, coordinated healthcare is something on the top of everyone's mind. That is why I love Live by Advantia Health. From primary care to mental health and gynecology to obstetrics, Live understands these are all connected and important to you. Live is a membership-based practice in the heart of DC that prioritizes your experience. Plus, Live accepts all major insurance. So take charge of your healthcare on your schedule and choose Live. Learn more and become a member by searching for Live by Advantia. L I V. By Advantia. Okay about them too. It's not like I think the record matters. It's it's how much they compete. You know that's really what has concerned me is against the the really decent teams we've played is we've not competed. So if we compete against these teams, you know if we drop to the Lakers by five points or the Clippers by six points or you know whatever, like I'm not going to be distraught by that. I just don't want to be out of the game in the third quarter. Yeah. You know so if you. if that happens and we're competing with these teams, even if we pile up a good amount of losses. I'll still feel maybe a little bit more solid about the team than I do now. What do you think is missing? Like, what's the one, you know, obviously everybody could just say a superstar, but, like, if you had to go by a position or, like, a specific trait or need, what would you say is really what's lacking for the beloved? It's got to be a point guard, right? Yeah. A I mean, like, it's just, yeah. just ball handling. Uh, is Kobe just has a really loose handle for a starting point guard in the league. Uh, also doesn't make great reads. It is fine. I, we, we've talked about it, and I'm still still good with keeping him in there and letting him, you know, trial by fire, learn, get better, improve, you know, take on that responsibility. See, we have it's all fine. I'm not upset about it. But that's that's really what we're missing. I mean, you see when Sato comes in the game, it's, it's just a different looking offense. And then the other thing we're missing, I think, it, it's either just a better defensive scheme, or it's just these guys got to learn to play this one better because uh, the defense just looks really rough. Yeah, no uh, doubt. I think they're realizing that. I mean, just the fact that they went to a switching defense down the stretch is, you know, just yeah. shocking to me that I, we actually saw it because we just talked about it. On the, I, it's on not the shocking Rumble to me. I mean, table. like, I, it's it's funny when we're talking about it and people are like, "Oh, it takes time to learn the scheme of like dropping and whatever." And I, I kind of feel like it, it, there's only so many reads out of a pick and roll, right? Like, either the guard goes over the screen and the big man shows, or you switch the screen, or the guard goes over and the big man drops, or yeah. you go under the screen and you just stay. Like, I mean, it's like there's other kind of four options, right? I mean, it's not like uh, it's rocket science. I, I think like <laughs> every team has a basic understanding of how to play those four things. Now, obviously, you're you're different help rotations are different depending what you do and everyone has to read in the same direction and NBA athletes are doing this at a speed which is much faster than you and I are doing it at the YMCA and so you know it's a lot harder to have the muscle memory do that instantly if you're not used to it so I mean I understand why if you're not doing it all the time that you know it takes you a little bit of time to to master you know one scheme versus the other but it, it doesn't surprise me at any moment I mean I'd assume every team in the league can 
can flip from one to the other for you know a few plays at a time or, or whatever. And especially if you're flipping from drop to switching. I mean, switching has got to be the easiest of those things to, to do if you're going to, you yeah. know, it's just, I mean, it's just when you switch, it's, it's very straightforward, your responsibilities, right? It's just whether or not you can handle them, but your responsibilities are very straightforward. So I, I'm not surprised that they did that. I think it was good. I agree with your point that you made on, on our uh, YouTube show the other day and, and, and this show that we definitely have a second unit that can switch, and it was nice to see that today. Yeah, one thing I got to say, too, about the Bulls tonight, just an excellent job from the free throw line. First of all, they got there a lot. Zach Levine got hit nine attempts. He was eight of nine. Kobe White was five of five. Otto Porter Jr., five of five. Daniel Gafford, six of six. You miss a few of those free throws, and it's like a you know one-possession game. So just a stellar job there, and, and that that's encouraging to see because there's one thing I hate. I mean, I love Illinois' basketball team and college basketball, but you know missing free throws at the rate that they are, it's going to just come back to haunt you when the games really matter. And if the Bulls can continue on this type of, uh, you know, shooting free throws at this at this rate, it's just a huge advantage uh, when games that matter and if you're hitting at a high rate. And Zach Levine, that's one thing I do like about this team. Levine, White, Markkinen, Otto Porter Jr., all excellent free throw shooters. So that's good to see. That's one thing you could say about this team. I guess we can go to bed tonight saying, man, they can sh- shoot free throws. Well, I mean, they're 78% <laughs> of the season, so. What? Yeah, I, I don't know, like how – how great that is uh, compared to the league overall. Uh, but yeah, they were amazing tonight, and it was important tonight. And and what's interesting is Dallas was was bad tonight. Like yeah. the, if if Dallas actually shot the same percentage of us, and regardless of what percentage that was, if you move us down or them up, this game is a one possession game at the end. Yeah. So it was that was really the difference in this game was was the free throw shooting at the end of the day. So you know, nice job for the the Bulls to knock them down. I, I think in general we should be a pretty good free throw shooting team. I mean. I, off the top of my head, Gafford seems like the only guy on the the squad who's not going to be a, a solid free throw shooter. I mean, everyone else has got to be, you know, probably seventy percent plus, and most of the guys seem like they should be, you know, eighty percent type guys around that 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 mark, which is a very high mark. I mean, I think I think the Bulls will probably be one of the better free throw shooting teams in the league in terms of percentage. To wrap this up, we got to talk about the rookie really quick, Pat Will. Two blocks tonight, three steals, excellent job, one assist. But, you know, one thing that you mentioned on the last show, which I've really been trying to pay attention to since uh, our last discussion, was regarding his rebounding. He had five rebounds today in 28 minutes. How concerned are you about that? Because I am a little concerned about it. Because I I think rebounding is it's not something you learn in the pros, right? It's either you're a ball hawk or you're not. In general, from my experience, I don't see a lot of guys suddenly becoming great rebounders. Um, so that is a little bit disturbing, and I have noticed that and he has a tendency not to attack the rim and box out really well. Uh, I, you know, that's something you can learn to do better. But I'm, you know, I, I am a little concerned. He's at play a power forward position. That's one thing. The number one thing you got to do is rebound one or two. Yeah, I mean, he's playing a lot of minutes at small forward too. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I'll put it this way: I don't really care about the rebound number. I care that he does not seem to be a ball hawk. Like that's, uh, I mean, and, and it's fine. You know, Jimmy Butler is maybe not a ball hawk, or Kawhi Leonard is maybe not a ball hawk. Those are two guys people kind of compare him to demeanor wise. If he became a star in the league, he'd, he'd kind of be a star like one of those guys, maybe. Yeah, Why I don't. Connor I don't Butler see him becoming a, a star in the league. But yeah. regardless of that, like, I don't think you have to be this super high motor guy to be great. You know, it's like if I look at Wendell Carter Jr., I don't view he's a high-motor guy, but Gafford clearly is a high-motor guy. 
And I still think, despite the fact, and, and maybe not tonight, but in most nights, I think Wendell Carter Jr. is still a much better player than Daniel Gafford. And, yeah. you know, right. it's, it's, you know, motor doesn't make up all the difference. There's still skills and talents and things like that. But I kind of thought that just when you look at a guy who's supposed to be athletic and, you know, it's a great defender, usually associate guys like that with high motor players. And so it was a little surprising to see him not really be one. And that's maybe, it's not the biggest concern, but it's a concern, right? And I, 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 if he just learns to box out and attack the rim and just get in front of someone, rather, regardless of whether he averages three rebounds or seven rebounds, I won't really care. Yeah. You know, that's really what I want to do is just get out there and, you know, get in the, it's, it's also getting in the passing lanes and making sure you make all the right rotations and uh, that you're just actively moving around and he does seem to do a much better job on the rotational piece of it uh, defensively. And so that part isn't as big a concern, especially for his age. I mean, yeah. he still misses some rotations, but especially for his age, he does a pretty good job there. So I'd, I'd maybe rate that concern on a scale of one to five is, is like a, you know, like a two and a half, you know, it's like something I hope he gets better at, but if he doesn't ever get better at it, I don't know that's going to be a critical Achilles heel or anything. Yeah. He's definitely shot it better than I expected, especially from three, you know? So, I mean, overall, I'm pleasantly surprised with him, but that is something that you brought up that I've been paying attention to, and it, it is a little, yeah, two and a half. It's at a two and a half on a scale of one to five. It's exactly yeah, what Maybe one thing, just when I mean, you think of Williams now, and you know, it, it's funny you hear different people who will be either just super excited about him and, and talking about how great he's going to be and you know just, just putting together the, the Patrick Williams bandwagon and the thing that, like, I just kind of wonder a little bit about is, like, you know, he's averaging, like, 10 points a game, which is fine for a rookie. I don't, but, like, man, I've just not seen someone who's averaging 10 points a game while playing, you know, pretty good amount of minutes, like, really be so hyped before. Like, people yeah. seem, like, super hyped yeah. about this guy. He's like, yeah. you know, like, it's like, okay, he's kind of contributes in a lot of ways. And I don't know if it was just, like, our expectations, because we talked about how bad this draft was for so long. Yeah, it's like we just thought like we just talked everyone down into like this, this. This draft is so awful that if you can tie your shoes and dribble a basketball and chew gum, then you're just going to be it's like a great pick. I mean, like because like, he's he's off to an fine like just a fine start. Like there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing to be concerned about it. But like there's, there's nothing you should be like jumping out of your your bed and jumping up and down excited about either. You know, like he looks like a looks like a nice prospect. I think he's got a very high floor. Yeah, just seeing him right away, I'm already convinced he'll be in the league for 10 years, and so he's not going to be a bust. Um, yeah, definitely. But, like, I, just weird how how just super excited people are. It's like if we drafted the Kirk Heimrich of, like, three, four power forward, small forward tweeners. <laughs> oh you know, like, like yeah. Oh, yeah, he's, he'll make it in the league for, like, 15 years, and he'll be, be a decent player. We should be amped about this. Like, you know, like, I just, I don't know. Well, I think I think it's more of a reflection of the general fan view of Arturis that you know he can do no wrong, he's perfect. You know, yeah. there's a general attitude about that, and no, he can do wrong. He's done wrong in Denver. You know, like it, it's but, just but, a new GM thing, right? It's a new GM thing. You yeah, bring yeah, a he's new so much GM, better. Yeah, he's so much get better. Really excited. Yeah, yeah. He's so Last much better. Last guy had a guys. bad taste, regardless of whether he was also did a lot of really great things. Like you, you know, it's just like a relationship, right? Like you and you, you date your uh, you date your wife, you know, in the first year or two things are all hot and heavy and amazing and 
you know, after 20 years of marriage, you still might love them, but it's a little different. And, uh, oh, sure. you know, by yeah. the MBA, it's uh, we're, we're in that, that honeymoon phase. We're in that just getting to know you. You can do no wrong. We overlook all your flaws kind of part of the relationship, right? That's just, you know, kind of par for the course. And I think the same is true, honestly, of Billy Donovan. Like some stuff he, he's done, like I've, you know, not been a big fan of, but like people are like, oh, man, Donovan is just the greatest coach ever. And I'm like, oh, it wasn't right. like that great in Oklahoma <laughs> City. Like outside oh, of last year, like, I don't know, you could argue that team was kind of underperformed most of his tenure. Like they didn't win any playoff series after his first year there. You know, like. Oh, but Doug, relative to the previous guy, come on. In every facet. Yeah, yeah. Relative to the previous in, in guy, every it's facet. irrelevant, right? Like, it's really no, it's irrelevant. kind of relevant. It's kind of relevant. It, 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 is, it <laughs> isn't because, like, you were going to replace the previous guy either way, right? So, yeah, I, I mean, thank God we didn't, like, just hire me and make me be the head coach or something. I mean, like, okay, we got someone who's, like, a legit NBA head coach, but it's, like, like I'm going to put it this way. Where do you think Donovan ranks – in head coaches, if I you're think gonna rank the head coaches one through thirty, he's impressed. Where do you think he I, he's impressed me so much. I think he's in the top ten. I'd say he's probably around nine or ten, eight, seven, eight, nine, ten. He, he, Doug, he's just. I've been shocked at how good he's been. Because I, I, I mean, people are pointing to tweet. I was upset about their loss in Game Seven last year to Houston, and I had to, you know, I'll pass or whatever, hard pass or something about it. I didn't mean it. I was just upset that they lost. Because I wanted to see Oklahoma City win. So I tell you what, I've been blown away that, with his communication. At the University of Utah, or whatever it was. I've been, I've been, what? What did you say? <laughs> I've been blown. Well, they were away. judging your your tweet. I mean, was that was that a tweet considered wrong? <laughs> that was a, that fell in the seven percent of incorrect tweets. Okay, okay, just checking. I'm just, just telling you, I've been so impressed with his commu- First of all, his communication, which I think is huge. Right, that's the most important thing to me is your communication with the players. And you, are they buying in in your communication with the fans and the media? It's extremely important as a head coach. We had a buffoon before that, and it was clear his players didn't buy in. Yeah, so he, for sure. He, he's doing well there. I agreed the defense were both kind of questioning it, but I, you saw tonight, I just brought this up. They went to a switching defense, which I felt like they should have been doing, and it worked. They won the game down the stretch. It was perfectly done. I, I And I saw what he's done with Thad Young. I saw what he's done. He's putting he's, what he's tried to do with Wendell Carter Jr. He's trying to put these guys in the best position to succeed, and that's all you can ask of a coach, right? How do you manage a minute? I've agreed with the vast majority of what he's done so far. And then what are you trying to get your players in the best position to succeed? I think he's done that for the most part. I did not agree with the decision to start Patrick Williams, but, again, Patrick Williams, I've been shocked. Like, he's not a guy I wanted in the draft. Obviously, I wanted Isaac Coro. I did not want Denny Average. I was happy that it wasn't Denny. Um, but, you know, he got Patrick Williams, and he's pleasantly surprised me. So, overall, I'm feeling really bullish on the future for this org, and I think everybody should. I think you should, too. I will say I would put him in the 10 to 15 range. So, and, and tell me some of the coaches you feel are better than him. As a Steve Kerr, right? He's won a title. Maybe Boston, right? Uh, um, but, like, who else? Do you, don't Please don't yeah, tell me I mean, Popovich like, had jackass retire for once we have for god's sake punk. Just easily but yeah, yeah he was he was great at one day he's been Spol- great Spol- Spol- he doesn't want to play for him nobody wants to play for him that pompous jackass he's a, he's done he should have retired 10 years ago i'm so yeah. sick of him we'll, we'll revisit this one in a year or two okay. i think it's tough to gauge Chris. but I, I would put him like roughly in the 10 to 15 range and it's not just like you can't always name coaches that are better because it's just 
you know, it's really, really hard to gauge coaches. Like Steve Clifford, how much is, really good how coach. much is the talent? You know, it's like you know, like if you know whoever in any different place is better. It's just tough to say. But I think he's he's a, I think he's a, probably above median coach, which is a good improvement from where the Bulls were. And I don't want to beat this one too much to death, so we'll just because we're not too far off. I, I I think Donovan's good. I just don't think he's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but the, the other thing I wanted to bring up, if if you got a little bit of time for the people left, I know you said you want to get out of here. I know I'm pressing your limits. you got to put kids <laughs> to bed and stuff like that. I, I didn't say I want to get out of here. It's just we've been driving this bus along for a while. I need my beer. Yeah, the people love to listen, Fred. They love That's to listen. That's true. They do enjoy All right. it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. All right. All right. I'm having a good time anyway. So good, last thing, I think last last time we spoke, you know, we've not talked about this individual today, but last we spoke – Wendell Carter Jr. was an absolute train wreck. Yeah. Right? Like, absolute train wreck. And Wendell Carter Jr. has just subtly put together a pretty nice season. Like, all, and it shows you, like, how fast, like, stats can change. He's now shooting 58% from the field. Unbelievable. 33% from three. Now, it's still low attempts, but, like, everyone was talking about it was, like, one for, like, 70 million and whatever. Yeah. Like, He's now at thirty three percent. So not like like if I told you he's going to shoot thirty three percent from three, you'd be like, yeah, I'll take it. That's nice. He'll stretch the floor here and there, you know. Yeah. And it, like seven point eight rebounds, which is I think pretty good for his twenty eight minutes good. a game, roughly. Yeah. You know, like I I think he's actually playing pretty well. Agree a hundred percent. Like I don't I don't understand what all of a sudden it, it seemed like to come out of the woodwork to me. Like there's like this movement to discount Wendell Carter Jr. for some reason and to act like he's not a good player and he shouldn't be in the starting lineup. And it's not just from, you know, Twitterverse. Like, I heard Adam Mean bring it up on a national show with uh, Ryan Rossillo saying he's not sure if he's a starter. I almost fell off, you know, fell out of my car. Maybe he's not a starter. He's absolutely rock solid defensively. He's a rebounder. Like, at that center position, to me, the most important thing is can you rebound? Yes, he's an excellent rebounder. Can you do it with So what else can you bring to the table for a center position? I think he's an excellent passer. I think he's a smart player. He's got a high basketball IQ. And, yeah, he was shooting like 70-plus percent out of the last four games. For some reason, a lot of people are discounting his season because he had a terrible preseason. I got news for everybody. Preseason doesn't freaking count. Like, what, what are we talking about? Like, people are factoring in that in his season overall. He's played exceptionally well in the vast majority of the games. For, I wouldn't say vast majority. The majority of the games. The last four games, he's played well. He didn't play great tonight. He still had seven rebounds in 22 minutes. I agree with you 100%. And, Doug, you, you questioned me when I said about this growing movement to have Gafford start. 32% of the fan base, 7,000 votes on NBC Sports Chicago want Gafford to start, which I think is insane. I like Daniel. I think he's a fine backup, but he's not a starter. Yeah, they bring really different things. And I, I don't know that Wendell Carter is going to be a starter throughout his career as, as a center. But, I mean, he can be, right? I think we've seen that he can be. He, he brings enough to the table that he can be. Totally. I think I think the totally. big thing is he was really, really struggling defensively earlier in the year. And, and so some of those offensive things have come around. Both Carter and Gafford, like, people get all excited about Gafford scoring like because he dunks a lot. Yeah. Like, both yeah. these guys are mostly shooting shots that are, like, open – you know, dunks, layups, whatever, you know, around the basket shots. Like, that's that's what they're both doing. So their their offense has been similar. Carter definitely has the ability to, you know, stretch the floor a little bit more and, and shoot a little bit more than, than Gafford does. But I, I don't know. I just wanted to throw out a little bit of love for Wendell Carter Jr. because 
Well done. Sir, we ripped on him, and everyone was ripping on him, and I think people haven't stopped ripping on him, but he's actually not deserved it recently. Like he's, <laughs> he's actually played uh, much better. And, you know, he, like I said, you said, he didn't have a great night tonight. But even with his kind of off night tonight, he's still shooting 58% from the floor. Like, oh, yeah. I, it's just a solid, solid start to the season for him as it's turned out. So, uh, yeah, and it, it's starting, not starting. You know, like, you look at Patrick Williams, is he the best person to start? Like, probably not. Like, probably the starting lineup is more potent if you put Otto Porter Jr. in there. But you're mixing in, like, some vets and some young guys and some scoring talent, uh, you know, on the bench and some scoring talent in the starting lineup. You know, so you're, you're trying to, you know, do some of that stuff, too, to, to find good balance. And I think Gafford going to the starting lineup would, would probably be a, a big mistake. They, they definitely seem to oh, find a good vibe with him in that bench unit, too. And I think it fits well because they have better passers in the bench unit. Yes. And they move yeah. the ball more. And Gafford is a guy who really needs someone to find him, you know, for alley-oops or when he's just in that spot, someone who's got good court vision to, to really maximize what he's doing. I think Carter doesn't quite need that as much as, as Gafford does. 100% to, to agree. Effective. Wendell Carter Jr. is a better pick setter, too. Like, he's just a better – he's got a much higher overall, uh, especially in the offensive end, ceiling. Is there is there a team in the league that's worse at setting picks than the Bulls? I think what it is is, like, someone said, like, this is how you legally set a pick, and then we do that. But no one in the NBA does. Like, every other team literally moves on their picks, like, by, like, three, four feet and hip, hip yeah. checks guys and stuff like that. And the Bulls, like, set their pick and don't move. I think Carter like, is pretty good at setting picks. But, you know, the, call the, irony is, the irony is, is Carter is called for moving picks more than any other play I've ever seen. And he doesn't even move. I'm like, this guy moves less than everyone else. Like, everyone else. Like, like am I wrong? Like, isn't it just standard that almost everyone moves on their pick? Like, Agreed. just, like, steps out and, like, hip-checks a guy. Like, that's so common. It happens, I swear, on, like, 90% of the screens. And, like, Carter doesn't even do that, like, 90% of the time. And he still gets called, I feel, for, like, two moving screens a day. It's just, like, it's so crazy. Like, this guy is so screwed on that one thing. It's so so odd. It, that's so true. And he's – you really made a good point about the, his demeanor. He's got the same Williams demeanor. It's like a laid-back demeanor where Gafford's a lot more frenetic energy – high motor, and that's more endearing. Like, people love that. And the dunks, he's got great dunks, no doubt about it, man. Yeah. He's played great, too. I, I really think in the last three games, he's really been rock solid. Well, not against Milwaukee, but nobody played good against Milwaukee. But he was good tonight, <laughs> and he I, he was really good in the one Wizards game. I mean, goodness gracious, that second quarter was phenomenal. But, come on, big picture. You're going to give Gafford, like, you want you want to laugh? You want to see, you're talking about Wendell Cutter Jr.'s three-point shooting. How about watching Gafford try to fire up one from the three-point line. Nobody's guarding him either past the free throw line. So, yeah, I mean, they're just pointing out everything, every little fault that he makes. And I definitely disagree with, like, King on a few of his critiques of on that pick and roll. Like, it's all on Wendell Carter Jr., right? Like, he's too, he's, he's too far back. He's not far up enough. Like, you can make that criticism almost every play. It's like it's yeah. such a difficult thing. It's a very difficult thing. It's the hardest thing on this team defensively is – because he's he's got to he's got to really balance it out right. Now, overall, I think he's really played a lot better lately. Yeah, I I always want to give like I sometimes want to give our announcers a hard time, but it's got to be brutal just trying to call like every little thing. Yeah, you know because it's just sure. like they'll they'll be at one point they'll be like oh he's jacking up a three you really need to work the ball inside but it's like he makes the three and be like incredible three you know like it's it's kind of like a 
you know, you, if something goes wrong, you just say you should have done something else. And if something yeah. goes right, you're really excited. Like that's kind of kind of the way a lot of that goes. And so it's 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 I, I can't imagine how you do it differently though. It's just it's really hard to analyze on the spot without having to be able to think of things and without being able to see something twice on a replay or anything else. So I'll I'll give those guys a little credit. And then the announcing, totally. I think know, they're great. I think they're fantastic. I don't I don't want to just step in real quick. I don't want to come off as criticism because. That's a really difficult job. What King does is to balance criticism and praise. I think he does it really well. Yeah. But, and I just want to throw some more love at announcers. Adam Amin is amazing. Yes. Fantastic. I, I, I love Adam Amin. I actually miss him a lot when Jason Benetti does the, the calls, but but he's still good, too. I like Benetti like, a lot, too. I, I like Benetti as well. Like, he's he's also good. Uh, I think Amin's a little bit just like, he, <laughs> I swear, it's like he's a Bulls fan almost. I feel like I'm watching a game with him in my basement. He well, that's so, who he is. So excited. Like, I, yeah, I, think, it, I think it's great. So I think both those guys have been really good. Uh, you know, Neil Funk, thank you for your years of service, but I'm uh, I'm really happy with the new guys we have in the booth. It's 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 been uh, very exciting to actually listen to the game. It's a much more enjoyable experience. And I can't recommend enough. Ryan Rosillo's got a national podcast, and he had Adam Amin on. I think it was last Friday. It might have been New Year's Day that that pod went live. Everybody should check it out. Really interesting stuff. Uh, you know, Adam gives a lot of history, his background and stuff, and gets a little bit into the Bulls. Um, but really great guy. And I'm, I'm, you know, we got hopefully we can get him on the show once because he follows me on Twitter. So I'll just shoot him a DM and see where, where we go from there. We should, we should give it a shot. Yeah, know? why not, man? How It'd great be amazing. Be? He'll, he'll probably turn us down. You just know, for but, the, yeah. just for the <laughs> image uh, as a, having Adam mean on, and I'll go into like a 20, 20 minute description of the bus before we even get to him. How great would that be? <laughs> as I pull, just in hangs the, up the phone. <laughs> exactly, just hangs up the phone right where I'm talking about the. Uh, the, the side panels or something else, and he's like, "That's enough. I'm done." <laughs> windshield wipers. <laughs> the windshield wipers. Yeah. All right. As we pull the big red bus in, this has been fun, DT. I always enjoy talking with you. It's a lot more enjoyable than last week, where I was very distraught and despondent. But this has been great. So um, definitely check out uh, Knights of the Roundball Table. Doug Tonus is a is a the one. I hope to be the one gentleman who's got a, a, a you know, fixture on the show. Uh, but this latest edition, it should should be out already or be out tomorrow on YouTube, has um, Mark Kay from Australia and then Coach Mike Colucci. I thought it was a very good episode. So everybody check that out. And then Bullsby, you got a Bullsby coming out this week, DT? I, I was going to record it right after I record this, but now I think I'm going to go to bed. So hopefully tomorrow morning and, you know, unlike you, I post mine like five minutes after I record, so I'll probably still beat this one up. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, just because of that, I'm going to go cut it now, even though I'm exhausted. And then I, I got one, one other bit of news. I had an interview with a Los Angeles Laker on the 1989 team. I'll just leave it as that. That's going to be up on the Bullseye this week. Everybody should check that out. So the That's Bullseye nasty. hasn't been out in a while, but uh, he was, you know, really good stuff with Magic Johnson, all the great players on that team. So anyhow. Spread yourself thin out there. You got so many podcasts, video shows now. I mean, you're just oh, like a legend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A very minor, minor legend. But uh, I'm more excited. The most thing I'm most excited about is my prophecy, uh, prophecy and profit duties. And man, it looks good right now. Seven seed. Let's go over it one more time. Seven pick and seventeen. Seven pick and eighteen. Seven pick and nineteen. Seven letters in Arturis, Scotty, uh, Pip, uh, Michael. What, what was it? Uh, Donovan. Do you expect? Can you me hold me up this stuff? <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. Yeah, anyhow, 
Let's pull the bus in. Oh, what a great ride. Is a lunatic? I mean, I, I, that's as much as I can. Is there seven letters? Oh, I don't know. I made that up. I've done it. It seemed close enough to get. Is there seven letters in Tonus? Holy smokes. That's our only six there. Yeah, okay. All right, Doug, man. Always great talking to you. Have a good one, my man. And we'll talk again next week, hopefully, with the Bulls with a couple surprises, a couple wins on this West Coast trip. All right. See you, Fred. Take it easy, buddy.